Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, May 22nd, 2022, and on behalf of myself and Pastor Peyton Parsons, I know we hadn't got to say this to you in a while, but man, I love my church. Oh, yeah. We love our church. I love the fact that we can come together and God begins and there's an altar call before you can even get to the sermon. There's getting our hearts right. Do you know what that means? That means he wants to tell you something very clearly today, and he wants to make sure that our hearts are in right alignment so that we can get the entirety of what he has to say. Look, for centuries, the pursuit of the ideal man has captivated humanity. In the late 15th century, Leonardo da Vinci painted his world-famous Vitruvian Man. Oh, yeah. That's exactly as how it was as presented. Da Vinci drew this from a man that he met named Vitruvius. And Vitruvius was an engineer. He's not the model here. He is the one that started laying out. He was an architect and realized that there were certain proportionalities in the human figure. And like a blueprint for a building, they're presented in very specific dimensions, very specific ratios very specific proportions trying to define what the ideal man is. For instance, a man's hand is supposed to be one-tenth of his entire height. The distance from his chin to the hairline, another one-tenth. And this goes on and on and on, trying to describe what the ideal man is all about. I got skeeved on the old dimensions portion of creation. <laughs> now, see, it's no longer pigeon-punching Peyton Parsons. This is perfectly proportional, Pastor Peyton Parsons. <laughs> you can do that just off the cuff. It's, it's incredible. All this is, is amazing and fun to think about, but that's actually not what we're going to focus on this morning. You guys want to hear a passage? <laughs> you guys want to hear a passage? Let's get into the word with 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Oh, and we're reading this in the ESV. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. So the journey that we intend to take this body on and take this body through is to grow up into the mighty men that we are ordained to be. Men who are loving husbands, tender fathers, and lion killers. Let me tell you something. We're not going to let this earthly paradigm of pusillanimous propaganda emasculate our divine right to be men. Say men. Actual men as God designed us to be. Come on now, ladies, if you're a woman in this house today, don't you worry. Because when the men get things right, everything gets right. That's right. This is about everybody in this room today. See, the world and its wicked ways are fading into the depths of hell where they actually belong. And we are rising up as saints of the living God who are called, chosen, and faithful in our pursuit of him. Yeah. See, when we think of the ideal man, we think of men like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. We think of men like John the Dang. The Dang. That's got to be a real man just to have your middle name as the. John the Dang. Men like Baj Eregina. Men like Eric Stevens in this house. Woo! See, these men are more than just ideal biologically. 
That may be yeah. true. But these men are also ideal, biblically, biblically speaking, and that's what we're after. Come on, and we're going to show you why. It's because they have five traits of holy, holy masculinity. They know what it means to take dominion, to cultivate, to be saviors and sages, and ultimately glory bearers. So these five traits, say five traits. Five traits. Of holy masculinity that great men of God display in their every action, everything that they do. In this house, we're going to constantly strive to grow up in this holy masculine call. And we're going to teach our children to do the same. But this all starts with the men being men. Not just biologically, but biblically. And today, we're going to show you exactly how to do this. We're going to show you how to chutzpah. Come on now. now. Look, church, we want to tell you that we're proud of you. You saw that these five topics were introduced last week in an incredible sermon on husbandry. See, but what we want to take some time, we're actually going to start today, and we're going to take some time. Somebody say, it's okay to take time. It's okay to take time. If you're going to do it right, you got to take some time to get into this so that we can see the connected nature of all five of these attributes. They're connected. They're integrated. You've got to start with number one and move your way through this. And as you're doing this right, see, we're not a type of church who's going to allow ourselves or each other to piecemeal, to go, you know what? Sage looks like it's a pretty important one. I think I can do that one. Let me start with number four. That's not how this works. There's a reason that they're in this order. And we're going to talk about the proportional nature of each of these growing in turn and in proportion to each other. You know, one of those dimensions on the ideal man is that your wingspan, how far from the tip of your finger to the other, is supposed to be the same as your your height. (laughs) come on man it's supposed to be but what happens when things aren't ideal is that something has grown out of proportion to the others see we're going to help you it's all right it's all right spence t-rex arms and all man we got this we're going to do this this list this list is both our aspiration It is the goal of what we are shooting for, and it is our daily inspiration. The very thing that we are looking to so that we can know about how to go about our daily lives and become men who are filled with holy masculinity in every way. Y'all ready to jump into this? Come on, let's start by talking about dominion. So let's talk dominion. So you know, according to Genesis 1, that you are called to have dominion over everything. Psalm 8 even declares that we have dominion over the sun, moon, and stars. So nothing is wrong with the calling, this mandate, a mandate between us and our Heavenly Father. Sin has just made it kind of difficult. It's made it difficult to fulfill that call. So now we have to daily trust Him to empower us to fulfill that divine call. This is what holy masculinity looks like in action. To put the kibosh on our sinful inclination and our rebellious tendencies and take up an aggressive, warrior-like attitude for the treasures that Adonai has given us. See, church, this dominion is empowered by the authority that you've actually been given. 
Now remember, Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And what he's done is he's taken that authority and entrusted it. He is empowering it. He's trying to embolden you with that very same authority that he possesses. He is going to take the entirety of this creation, put it in right order. He's going to put the kibosh on all of it and then hand it back to the Father. The way that he is going to put the kibosh on it is for you and I to walk in this kind of Woo. dominion, kiboshing what God has entrusted to us. See, dominion is always derived from obedience to God's commands. Catch that. Dominion is derived from obedience to God's commands. God has commanded you to kibosh and to rule. So your obedience is to take absolute ownership of the field that you've been given. Somebody say ownership. Ownership. It is your field. It's your responsibility. You are the owner. God has commanded you to kibosh and to rule even over the animals of the earth. So your obedience is to take absolute ownership. Somebody say ownership. Ownership. Of the animals in your care. These are your animals. They're your responsibility. And because of it, you are the owner. owner. So let me just say it very plainly. Taking dominion is taking ownership. Taking dominion is having that responsibility of the call of what he has commissioned you to. You are the owner, and that is how you begin to take dominion in your life. So as you're turning to Luke 14 and looking for verse 16, say ownership. Ownership. So we're going to pick up in Luke 14, verse 16. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man. Who is this certain man? He was the owner. He was the boss. He was the dominator. He was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. Man, what a great day when you were invited to take part in something that was prepared in advance for you. Isn't that a good day? But we're going to see what happens next in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. Boo. Boo. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please, please excuse me. So polite as he was, this joker just bought a field and he only wants to just go take a peek at it. He has no dominion. He hasn't cultivated the field. He hasn't saved the field. And he honestly knows very little about the field. And he's certainly not reaping any glory from its produce. He just received the invite of a lifetime. And what is his response? To make excuses. It continues on in verse 19. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Just bought them. I guess you need a test drive the five pair of oxen here. Please excuse me. So we get another one that begins immediately by making excuses. By the way, because you guys love the word, you know that Jesus is at a Pharisee's home and he's speaking to them about who to invite to their own banquet. You don't invite those who can repay you. You invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. You invite those who can never repay you so that your reward will be at the resurrection. And one of the Pharisees overheard this, and Jesus looked right at him and began to share this story. I mean, did you catch the way that Jesus is laying this out? What did the first man say that he had just bought? A field. A field. This man said, I've got livestock that I've just purchased. 
they're acting like tenants, not like owners. It's sometimes it's kind of like when we, uh, when we hear a, a single person come up and tell us as pastors, Pastor, I've been so busy. And we just laugh as a married man, oh, as so a pastor, busy. and you're like, you're so busy. Yeah, I can tell you had five yoke of oxen that you need to go try out. Okay, I got you. Think about the context of what Jesus is saying. These are men. The ones making the excuses are men that had been invited. That the time of the banquet is right now. They've been confirmed. They sent a messenger out. It's kind of like saying, hey, the birthday party is Saturday at 1. And before Saturday morning, you send out the text and say, yep, can't wait to see you guys today at 1 o'clock. And then as the servant is going out, they're seeing these men, and they're like, ah, you know, now that I think about it, I have to do these things. There's a laundry list of things that sometimes we need to try out. And if you have that mentality, you're not thinking like an owner. You are not taking responsibility. It seems that holy masculinity has evaded their constitution. Instead of walking in dominion, taking the full responsibility of ownership, these two have made their ownership, quote unquote, the excuse not to actually get to the master's table and be fed from the master of the banquet. Come on. Owners don't make excuses. Those who are taking dominion don't make excuses. You guys want to do one more? Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. All right, you ready? Lesson one, don't blame your wife. Uh, lesson two, don't blame your wife. Lesson three, don't blame your wife. You are welcome for those free three life lessons. Because when you show holy masculinity and exercising dominion or ownership, you never blame shift. You never blame shift. And you never craft up neat little situations that you call logic to get out of your divine call. Ever. Those who are taking dominion or are owners do not do this. Let me talk about how this looks in my marriage. How I've heard it presented to me. We have a divine call to do something. Why aren't you doing it? Yes, well, it's, it's my kids or it's my wife. You don't know how right you are. It is your wife. It is your children. If you're blame shifting to your wife, man, take ownership and cultivate your lady. She is yours. God has given you her to cultivate. Real men who are progressing in these five never make excuses. They will always show extreme ownership for their actions, for their call, for their dominion, what has been entrusted to them. Even if there seems to be a justifiable reason not to be at fault, a man who is secure, who is holy and masculine, taking dominion and ownership, he will bear the weight of those wrongful, those wrongful actions. He will take the responsibility and he will even endure the consequence not only for his actions, but also for the actions of others who are under his dominion. Because he is the owner. It has been entrusted to him. And then from there, he will not take to planning and manipulation to resolve the conflict. But rather, prayer and divine revelation to bring shalom in the situation. Because he is the owner. And this is what holy masculinity looks like. Come on, somebody say that's good. Good. See, the type of men who make excuses will never taste of the banquet set out by the king. As a matter of fact, this owner, this dominator, this one that is responsible got angry 
and he began to look for others who could fill that spot. I want to make sure that we're having a, a, a moment of clarity because we know you, your family. We want to, I want to make sure that you understand that ownership is not just taking the blame, man. It's taking responsibility. There's a vast difference between taking the blame for something and actually taking responsibility. And you can ask me how I know that. See, in Numbers 5, throughout the Levitical law, what you have is, is if I have wronged someone, if I've done something intentionally, unintentionally, when that is discovered, I am supposed to not only repent, but I am supposed to then make restitution. I'm supposed to pay for the error that was there and then add one-fifth to it. Yeah. I have to add the amount that shows that I'm actually an owner. I'm responsible for what has happened. And what I do is I begin to, to engage with this so that things can be made right. See, when you're putting blame on someone, when you're pointing across the aisle, when you are trying to take blame and trying to, instead of taking responsibility, there's a big problem. The phrase is like, I had no idea that my wife had done this. Or on the other end of the spectrum saying, hey, I, I'll take the blame. Man, you're not trying to just take the blame. You're trying to take responsibility. Blame causes excuses to enter into the situation. Taking responsibility means that you look at it and you begin to deal with what is actually there. It's not just an apology. It's actual repentance because repentance includes the restitution that's needed to make things happen. Many Many, many times in my life, I have failed at this. I'm so full of thanksgiving that I've come to this church, and I've seen men who know how to live in the full ownership and responsibility of what God has called them to yeah. do. See, I was the one that was prone to go, no, no, I'll take the blame, I'll take the blame, and I removed the responsibility from those who were rightly do it. I'll take the blame for what my wife did. No, just look over here. Never actually taking responsibility to fix the problem. Never taking the opportunity to actually bring restitution and restoration there. No, I took the blame. No, I needed to take responsibility. But praise be to God that I am here at LCM. That I have seen and I have learned how to go, nope, I'm not just taking the blame. I am the owner. The weight is resting on my shoulders, and I will actually engage with this and make it be what it's supposed to be. Taking blame just causes you to make excuses. It's easier to see when we're thinking about a, a parent to a child. No, the reason that they're acting like a little hellion is because they're tired. Oh, no, it's just because oh, they, they're, they're just, they just got a little toothache or an earache. No, there's something going on, and you're not looking to place blame on why you're looking to see it rightly so that you can take responsibility. Church excuses, somebody say excuses. Excuses are always about misplaced responsibilities. See, but you, you're learning how to walk in dominion. You're the owners. Yeah. You're not even concerned about the blame. You're going, how can I take responsibility for this? We're the ones that have been given dominion. So we've got to rightly walk in an authority and take dominion not only of ourselves, but all the fields, all the livestock, all the loved ones that have been assigned to us. Yeah. Wives. Where you at, wives? Wives, you get to reflect this perfectly with your own children. In the book of Timothy, it says that, that a, an overseer must manage his own family well. 
Let me read this to you, 1 Timothy 3, 4, from the Amplified. It says, he must rule. Rule. He must take dominion and a responsibility and authority in his own household as well. Come on now. Men, you got to rule, and wives, you have to reflect what your husband is. Keeping his children under control with true dignity, commanding their respect in every way, and keeping them respectful. Oh, no, that's a good word. See, that's not how you thought that read. That's not what you were thinking that we were going to go with. Wives, you are reflecting your husband when you have the same type of rulership with the children that your husband is displaying in, with the entire household. See, that's why this message is for everybody, but we are still aiming at you, man. So when we're thinking about this, we all make excuses. But let me be just transparent with the excuses that are in my life and how much I want to be freed from them. It seems like every single situation I'm in, I always blame the circumstance for making my life difficult. Why wasn't this done on time? Well, you know, X, Y, and Z happened, and this happened, and, uh, you know, it just, it just didn't work out, and it's really, I'm just persevering through it, and, you know, God's going to help me. What am I doing in that situation? I'm really just making excuses for my lack of faith to just grit my teeth and take ownership of what God's entrusted to me. You know, when I think about why I'm not succeeding in certain areas of my marriage or in parenting or as a part of the ministry team, it's, it's because I focus on where I am actually the most secure, the most competent. I can be happy. I can play worship. I can do X, Y, and Z, and I focus on what I'm good at. Well, today we want to tell you and encourage you as a body, we're going to stop making excuses. We're going to stop focusing on just what we're competent about, and we're going to start focusing on our covenants. And we're going to be owners, take dominion, and we're going to even begin to cultivate. So we want to show you this slide so you can see it. Dominion is ownership. It's time that we start walking in this greater dominion, this greater ownership. In every area that the Holy Spirit highlights that you've been living like a tenant and not an owner, where you have been making excuses where you know you should not and just take ownership, then today you can cry out to the living God and have faith that he is going to help you and he is going to make it grow. He makes your life grow. We also want to tell you that he made you a man. You don't have to pretend to be one. He ordained you to be a man who is holy and masculine. It doesn't have to be fabricated. Now you just have to take ownership of it. So in every season... In every stage, we are maturing in our faith that only God makes things grow. Men, we're called to ownership of the field God gave us, to work it, to take care of it. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. This is ownership. This is dominion. And he was, he was told to work it and take care of it. Now, we're going to talk about cultivation. When you take ownership, ownership of your field, ownership of your life, of your divine call to be a man who is holy and masculine, then you begin to cultivate with an intentionality. Each of the five traits of holy masculinity, of righteous living, they're designed to work in perfect connection with each other. They're not meant to be isolated areas that you focus on, but interconnected. 
you're not just an owner. You are the one who must cultivate with intentionality in every aspect of your life and every day. I want to make sure that you guys are getting this, that you cannot be a cultivator. You cannot have the intentional cultivation that you need unless you've already begun to walk in the ownership position. Yeah. You can't skip the ownership because you feel like it's just too, uh, too toxic in its masculinity. No, that is the beginning of holy masculinity, and that's where you have to start. You have to take the responsibility. It's your call. You are the owner. And only then, somebody say only then. Only then. Can you move towards actual cultivation. Yeah, that's okay. That's better, than what, that's better than the way you responded. This is going to give life. This is going to change everything about you if you catch what we're saying. And we're going to make sure that we get this. You cannot be a cultivator, Mr. Gentle-Hearted Male in the Room, until you are a dominator. Yeah. We're going to help you. Because we like these ideas of cultivation, but until you start with the ownership, you're never cultivating. We're going to talk to you about how you can see that in the, in the upcoming minutes here. Cultivation here in Genesis 2.15 is both to work and to take care of it. We always think about those as synonymous, to work and take care of it. No, there's a work aspect that's in, involved in it, and there's a caring aspect of cultivation that must be there. See, these are inseparable components of intentionality. Turn with us to Deuteronomy 32. We're going to show it to you very plainly. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 10. Somebody say holy masculinity as you're turning. Holy masculinity. Deuteronomy 32, 10 says, In a desert he found him. In a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Do you hear already at the beginning of this the work that's involved, the shielding, the guarding, the tending, the finding out in the desert in barren and howling wastelands? See, the work aspect is where we can get discouraged in our intentional cultivation. It's where discouragement can settle in. I mean, I talked to them yesterday about this. And by them, I mean my wife. I gave her instruction yesterday. Why am I having to go back and do it again today? Because it takes work, man. Yeah. I mean, we told our kids the right thing to do, and it's 15 minutes later, and it looks like they're doing the opposite. Yes, there's work involved in this. Don't get discouraged. God put you there to work it and take care of it. Yeah. You are the owner. See, it's why we need to be constantly reminded that you're going to reap if you don't stop. It's also necessary in understanding the intentional connection of treasuring those that you are cultivating. See, because you're the owner. You're the owner, so it's your wife, which is what Pastor Peyton just said a few minutes ago. They are your children. You are responsible. It is your call. It is your assignment. And therefore, you begin to cultivate and they're the apple of your eye. I don't mean that you're gushy and smushy in how you feel. I mean they have such value to you because they, you know that they are yours. And that causes you to be able to do the right thing. To stand up in strength when needed. And to be gentle and a loving father. A, a, a loving husband and a tender father as well as the lion killer for anything that's needed there. See, we've got to become intentional in cultivating a prayer life. 
so that you develop a closeness to him. That's the way he views you as the apple of his eye. We've got to demonstrate an intentional faith that is actually God that makes things grow. You work it, you take care of it, and it's God that causes things to come to life. We have to rise up in our faith in this area because we need that resilience to go through the difficulties that take place when you're intentionally cultivating. But when you do this, you become a man who's patient, careful, hardworking, because you know that the outcome is not in question. Isn't that what the Lord corrected our hearts on this morning in the worship time? He is not of two opinions on the matter. If he gave them to you, if you are in the process of cultivating, then he is going to make them grow. Stand up and have some faith. Quit having thoughts and emotions that are contrary to what he's already said. you got to work this. you got to yeah. take care of it because you're the owner. My goodness. Holy, masculine men who know how to chutzpah is what God is doing in this house. Yeah. Holy masculinity knows how to strap its boots on and get to work. Amen. Intentional cultivation is done every single day in every single situation for all those who have been entrusted to you. That means those in your house, your livestock, your land, your friends, everyone God has brought to your life. Intentional cultivation is something that is ongoing till the very end. We want to learn from Jesus in John 13, and we're going to start in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, sounds like dominion, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. You see Jesus showing, I have dominion, and I have ownership. This has been given to me, and I'm going to own it. Yeah, absolutely. The verse goes on to say, he laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Having established his ownership, he then begins to be intentional with them. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is one of the most intense examples of intentionality in the entirety of the word. Jesus was demonstrating the full extent of his love. He was loving them to the end. He was showing them that they were the apple of his eye, and he was showing and demonstrating a way of life for them. See, because when you've taken full ownership, full responsibility, walked fully in your calling for those entrusted to you, and then you're intentional in your cultivation, when your cultivation springs out from your ownership, every singular act that you are performing has more impact than just those few moments would seem to be able to produce. See, Jesus was cultivating. He was intentional with them, and it produced an abundant harvest in them. And the truth is, is this act of cultivation produces abundant harvest in each of us as well. Yeah. So verse 6 says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. You see, intentionality is not always understood by those who need cultivation. Those who take ownership are patient, careful, hardworking. When they see an area that needs to be shown, a little bit of divine intention. Man, isn't that speaking to some of the husbands in the room? Sometimes our, our wives do not know that they need cultivation. But a loving husband, a tender father, who is a lion killer, 
does not let those opportunities go by. Holy masculinity will always compel you to make the most of every single opportunity, even when you have to take on the role of a servant to cultivate a heart when that particular heart is not even aware that it needs cultivation. And this is what Jesus is doing for Peter here. In verse 8, it goes on to say, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Why? Because Jesus is the owner and it is his responsibility to cultivate them. And he's setting an example for Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head, all of it, just everything. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash uh, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was, going to, who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So let's put this on a personal example. Have you ever been cultivating your wife and you're very specific on what you want to correct in your wife? Like fear. You're being fearful in this area. And then it's met with a little bit of resistance, so you push a little bit harder. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to what I'm trying to say. I'm talking about this. And then the argument goes on and ends up way in left field in something that you were never talking about. Never happen? It's just Pastor Parsons. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's just me. And then no, you not. end up talking about something that the cultivator, the husband, you, originally that was not what you were intentionally trying to cultivate. And it becomes about the nail. Like, I just have this pain in my head, and she has a nail sticking out of her head. And you're like, no, it's, it's the nail. Can I borrow your head? There we go. It's, it's right. Don't touch the nail. No, I, I'm, just trying to, I'm, I'm just trying to focus on this one area. But what's happening, if we put it in the passage of John uh, 13, wives tend to just say, well, if, if I can't do this one thing right, fearful, I'm fearful in everything, and I'm a bad mom, and I'm just a bad friend, and I can't. We need to center ourselves. We need to calm down as husbands, as wives, and say, look, we are owners of this. God has entrusted this marriage to us. They have entrusted these children to us. Let's cultivate with some intentionality. Let's let what is being corrected in our wives, let that be the subject matter. Because God showed it to you. This needs to be cultivated. Don't be emasculated with, well, now I'm addressing five things when I sit down to cultivate one. Come on, now I can tell by your laughter, ladies. Yeah, you've actually said those exact lines that Pastor Parsons just shared with us. Let's go on and move on to verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for, for you? I'm sorry, done to you. Did, did you catch what was said there? Jesus was demonstrating such intentional cultivation, working and caring for his disciples without ever losing his place of ownership and dominion. He resumed his place. I was doing this to show you what needs to be done, and I've never left my place of dominion or ownership over you. 
These two things are not in conflict with each other. They're in perfect communion with each other. He could only cultivate them rightly because he understood his dominion in the situation. And listen to how, they, how Jesus says that they respond in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. Everybody say teacher and Lord. Teacher and Lord. And you're right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, oh, get it. have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Come on now, isn't that our propensity to want to call him teacher and Lord, the one who cultivates me, and yes, the ruler of the universe? His perspective is like, you are right, I am that. And as your Lord and teacher, he put it back into the order of ownership before cultivation. He is so good. God is so good to us. Jesus is laying down these exact principles for us. You got to be the owner, dominator, one responsible before cultivation can come about. Because intentional cultivation always results in those entrusted to you becoming like you. Let me say it a different way to help us to walk around this and get this. If you've been cultivating and the people you're cultivating aren't like you, then you've misstepped one and haven't taken real ownership. It's right. It's sinking in. I get it. Come on. You've been cultivating. Man, I do a Bible study with my wife. I mean, we're daily praying together. We're even praying through the tabernacle. But she's not becoming like you. There's a problem, friend. And the problem is, is you're not walking just the way that Jesus did, taking full ownership and responsibility first. Not taking the blame, but taking the responsibility. And then having an intentional cultivation in your home. Because when you do it in that order, your family, your wife and your children and those associated with you start becoming like you. You know how I know? Because I've lived it on both sides of this. I've seen the work of Eric and Matt in my life. Men who understand how to walk in dominion, how to walk in ownership. It corrected so many things in me as they began to cultivate. I then became like them and started doing the exact same thing in my home. Come on now, this is exactly what it is. Take a look at this slide just to help you to put it all together. Dominion is your ownership. Your cultivation is about your intentionality, beginning with the ownership and then moving to intentionality because this is what holy masculinity looks like. Hey, church, look up at me. Let your faith grow today. Come on, yeah. Some of you guys, are, some of this, drops of this are starting to sink in. And what's happening is you're realizing, man, I've been cultivating, but I haven't taken on. No, 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 no. You got to rise up. You got to have some faith that God makes things grow and he's doing it in you and he will continue to do Come so. On. Take ownership and be intentional and he is going to help you to grow in each of these things. So give you some more inner dialogue. We're studying yesterday, and we spent all day, and it was amazing. But as we're engaging with the word, and it's engaging with us, I started feeling a little bit of that weight. Like, I am making excuses. I am not as intentional as I should be. Lord, I feel like I'm not, I'm not being a man who's holy and masculine. Like, I, I need to overcome this, and I'm, I'm a little bit fearful. 
Then he, he's in a way that only the Lord can speak to a heart. He's like, I made you this way. I made you a man so you could go and conquer that. And that just blessed my soul. So let's keep moving and let's talk saviors. Saviors are bent on self-sacrifice. And we know from Genesis 3 that there would be war between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And to this day, we are engaged in this battle. And crushing the serpent is just our occupation. And we do it with glorious precision, just like Romans 16, 20 says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under whose feet? Your feet. And the grace... The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you <laughs> as you smash his head. Our God is the God who saves. And as we said earlier, he is saving the world through us. We must take ownership of this because this is what holy masculinity looks like. We are the dominators of the dominion of darkness. That's because the father is empowering us to be saviors. And we need intentionality to cultivate this in our heart. We look for what saves in every situation for our family, for our children, and our fellow man, for our friends. We look for what saves. Where is the life-saving word? Where is the life-saving action? Where is the self-sacrifice that I can put myself in the position to be the one who takes it? What would you not do to protect your friends? What would you not do to protect your children? What would you not do to protect your wife? There's really not a list after that. Everything, whatever it takes, at whatever cost. You know, I can get all kinds of worked up thinking about people breaking into our house or a kid walking off of a ledge or walking next to a pool and just want to be the savior. And that's how God made me, to protect, to cultivate to keep my family from harm, whether they're putting themselves in that position or if something else is attacking them. You know, I often think that I'm like Benaiah. And if there was ever a lion in a snowy pit, that I would be the one to go down to rescue. This is what 2 Samuel 23 talks about. Come on, 2 Samuel 23 verse 20 talks about Benaiah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. Not two of the mightiest warriors, but the two mightiest warriors. And I learned something just this morning. The words behind mightiest warriors there is the Hebrew word Ariel. Wow. It literally says that Moab's two lion-like men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed another type of lion. And he struck down a huge lion Egyptian. Killer. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. Entering into not a knife fight, but a spear fight with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Man, I love the story of Benaiah. This is a lion killer extraordinaire. I mean... By the way, we're just going to go ahead and say it to be very plain about it. Men, we must physically defend those who belong to us. Yes. It is holy, righteous, godly, and supernaturally masculine to actually physically take care and protect those that have been entrusted yeah. to us. Because you've already been taking ownership. 
you've intentionally cultivated. So you're going to walk and see and know what they need saving from and jump in there and save them each and every time. Yeah. But let's be honest. How many opportunities have you had to engage in mortal combat with two special forces warriors, two lion-like warriors? Not lately. Not this week. How many times have you gotten into a spear fight and brought only your club to the melee? How many times have you even seen snow in Houston besides Snowvid last year, much less a lion who's in a pit and decided to go jump down in there and kill it? See, but if you've been taking ownership and cultivating, you know that in that field, you're seeing the growth and you're seeing the blight, the mildew, the varmint that are trying to come in and steal your crops, and you go out and you become the savior. For your livestock, you're fighting the disease and the sickness and other predators. See, this is what we're talking to you today about. The Savior is one who is constantly, not just in the off chance that two lion-like men might come up and you gotta, you got to go to dukes with him. But what happens is we are self-sacrificing every day yeah. because of the ownership and the cultivation. See, the enemies of our land and our livestock look so different. A Savior is one who completely committed to sacrifice and self-sacrifice again and again so that every life, that everyone been entrusted to him is preserved in every way. What does it look like in our families? Okay? We all have envisioned being the guy in the physical confrontation. Yeah, but what does it look like daily in your life? Men, you've got to protect your family from those harmful influences. Those societal influences, those internal yeah. enemies, those external enemies that are coming about. What about the patterns of living in your house? See, we as men are the ones that are called to be self-sacrificing. We've taken ownership. We've intentionally cultivated. And now we see what's going on. By the way, ladies, men, when we are doing homeschooling, 1 Timothy 2.15 says women will be saved through childbearing, through childrearing. If you're doing homeschooling, you know that the main point of homeschooling is not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. You are looking to save them from their own things that will kill them that they don't even know about yet. That propensity to only do what they want to do and not work hard at anything unless they already want to. you got to save them from that. Yeah. That, that character that you see that is like, man, this is a fear of loss. This is a fear of failure. It looks like it's a math test, but it's something that i got to save them from. Yeah. Not the math. Who they are. But that doesn't happen until you've taken ownership and cultivating and you see it. Daily, you are seeing it. Those attitudes that are displayed are not just some juvenile thing. Actually, just switch to the wives in that case, but it sounded like I was still talking about the kids. Yeah, you got that. Attitudes. Dis uh, the way that you are disposed to respond to something. The ways of thinking. You got to be a savior, folks you got to have that self-sacrifice that's ready to jump in. It's said that everyone may have one moment in their life to be truly a hero. But every man has an opportunity every day not to be a coward. Amen. And every day to become a sacrificial savior for your own family. And not being a coward is heroic. 
we're going to go to Psalm 15, and Psalm 15 has been something that has impacted my walk with Christ for years. And we're going to highlight verse 4, and I know many people are very familiar with it. But we're gonna, I'm going to take a brief aside to just highlight on one point that has moved my heart this week. When you're raising children, let's say you have a son, and something happens that doesn't go well. I've heard this described as he's going to catch a pot fly in baseball, and he misses it, and he doesn't take ownership of it, but says, oh, well, the sun was in my eye. Dads, you know how we can be a savior for our sons and our daughters in those moments? Not say, you're right, next time you'll get it. No, get on your knees with them and say, we do not make excuses. You know, next time, you put your hand up, you block the sun, and you catch the ball. This is teaching them how to take ownership for their actions and not blame shift and not make excuses. How to cultivate their heart in every situation. How to just take, take their, uh, their own faith and say, it's not about that I failed and now I'm trying to sidestep it. Like, oh, I failed. Let me see if I can avoid the consequences. But just growing men up so whenever they fail, they're like, yes, I failed. I'm sorry. And next time... I'm going to be more prepared not to fail. This is how we develop holy and masculine sons, righteously holy feminine daughters, and it's how we build the saints of the living God. Let me read Psalm 15 and highlight verse 4 to you. In whose eyes a vile person uh, is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Verse 5 says, who does not put on his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be moved, who keeps his word and does not change. Saviors are men who always keep their word, even when it hurts. He does not change like shifting shadows. He does not change his position on something biblically based on the situation. His ownership is solid. His cultivation is intentional and consistent. His heart is set on saving in every situation. Holy masculinity does not look for an exchange when in confrontation. And I'm going to say it again and I'll explain. Holy masculinity does not look for an exchange when in a confrontation. So, what do we mean? Well, here's an example. When you are addressing your family about what needs to be done, and you notice that there is not clear adherence to that standard, what you are cultivating in them. Meaning, what you said and what the Word says, which is how we cultivate and direct our families. And you notice that they are not upholding the standard. So you renegotiate what you originally said and you add a clause to it that sounds like, okay, okay. So just do this one thing, please, and I'll be happy. This is not holy masculinity. Men, if we are directing our wives, it is as God is directing us and we are transferring it to them. And we expect all of the revelation that we are bringing to them to be adhered to, to be followed, because it's, it can be trusted. But to have it met with maybe a, a less than joyful attitude 
and then to get frustrated and then lose your bearings and get knocked off course and say, okay, we're not going to do any of that. We're, we're going to now do this. And if we can just focus on this, then, then it'll be better. Okay, not that. Okay, now let's do, can, can we just talk about, let's just do Abigail traits. Let's, let's, just, let's just forget that conversation. That is not holy and masculine. And we've all been guilty of doing those things. But I think God is making a point to reveal this to us so that we can begin getting rid of those excuses and start cultivating with a greater level, level of intentionality and be a savior to our families simply by being men who honor what their word is, what God's word is, and they do not change. Husbands, you are the hero to your wife when your word is as certain as God's word is to you. Wives, you are a hero to your children when your words reflect the power and certainty of your husband and their father. Children, obey your parents. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Look, in 1 Timothy 4, 16, it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you save yourself and your hearers. This slide helps us and reminds us of where we are. When we take dominion, we are taking ownership, responsibility. We are taking and walking in our call, our commission. When we begin then from that place to cultivate, it's an intentionality that brings out exactly what is needed and produces people that are just like you. And then that daily self-sacrifice. Church, this is masculine holiness. Yeah. This is what we must be. We must be saviors that fight, bleed, and die through daily sacrifice in order to save everyone and everything that has been given to us. Yeah. It also requires for you to have faith that God is the one that can make you grow in this area. That it is his work that is abundantly causing you to walk through the ownership, to in, be intentional, and to actually have the self-sacrifice needed to become a savior for others. So let's talk sages. You remember that seasons make sages. And you need to know that sages grow in stages. Becoming a sage can't perpetually be a mirage that's just shy of the horizon. We're talking about the accumulation of wisdom and sagacity. Sagacity. Over time. Nobody shows up day one in the kingdom as perfect and a fully mature and competent entity. That's just the reality. This was always meant to be a lifelong pursuit of becoming perfect like our father is perfect. But it happens in stages. Remember, sages grow in stages. Holy masculinity will make a man secure in his current stage in life. He has no need to posture and attempt to prove something. That he is something more than he actually is. When you're en route to becoming a sage, you will find that... You can be a sage in your current stage, your current stage in life. That's because you are taking ownership of what God is giving you. You are actively cultivating your field. That makes you the most knowledgeable source on the current state of affairs of what's happening. Because you're taking ownership in all situations and cultivating it. A sage who is thriving in his stage has invested all of his heart, 
all of his soul and all of his strength into the work and is sacrificing all of his life to ensure the safety and development of what he's working to build. A sage is a real man who has a real relationship with the word of God and knows the intricate details of what his field needs in order for God to make it grow. Turn with us to Psalm 19 in verse 7. And we're going to see in this in a very, very special kind of way. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See, sages are made through seasons of daily engaging with the word. It's through the daily interaction, the daily revelation, and the daily application that's able to transform you into being wise in every area of your life. Church, you're wise. You ready for this word? Sagacious counsel will spring forth first and foremost in the areas that you are actually applying the word of God repetitively. This is why we're trying to awaken you to this idea. If you wait until you are a certain age, somewhere off in the distance before you're a sage, you're missing the fact that you become a sage as you apply the word of God in your life because this is what the word of God does. It's not about how smart you are. That's buffoonery. Yeah. As you accumulate this kind of word-driven wisdom because you're applying it in your life, you're able to teach other people how to win. You know why? Because you're winning. Yeah. And there's even a deeper beautiful truth here. It's likely that you will become the most sagely in the areas of your greatest failures. Your greatest disappointments, your biggest weaknesses, because you then cry out to God and ask him. You're saying, God, I need you to show me this. Here I am. I've fallen on my face again. I must not be doing it according to your word. Help me. Show me. Let me apply your word. And you then become a sage in that one area. And the more that you do this, your sageness becomes something that is powerful because you're interacting with the word. Think about Moses and Jethro's interaction in Exodus 18. Jethro's accumulated wisdom allowed him to look at Moses, his son-in-law, and speak sagely wisdom that transformed Moses as a leader of God's people. And Moses was sagely enough to receive yeah. and implement the yeah. wisdom and show that he was already a sage. Yeah. Look, we need to move on here, but I'm just going to encourage it's normal for all of us when we're young to not even know what we're lacking. No, I got this. The, the first year married couple that doesn't even want to ask an elder or a pastor what they need to do. Well, why? Because you don't even know that you need the help. That comes from fearful and insecure nature. But see, sages go, ah, if only I can apply the word. Yeah. A sage is not the one who has all the answers. A sage is the one who knows what answers he does have, yeah. gives them, and when he doesn't, he doesn't pretend like he knows. Come on, Come on we're developing some sages in this house. Amen. We are getting it. Sages are made in stages, and they transparently share the wisdom that they've accumulated with each and every person. And we could call out names in this room of men who are sages and ever-growing in it. So we do have to keep moving today, but... We want to tell you that sages can be the most simple of people. It's not about having a bunch of accolades to your name and degrees on the wall. 
Sages can be simple because they have lived and learned, and by default, they have actually learned to live. And that's what we're pressing into. We want to talk about a couple, a married couple in Acts 18. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. They were those who knew what self-sacrifice looked like. They knew what living out the gospel felt like. They had experienced it, and that made them qualified to teach the most astute around them. Acts 18, picking up in verse 24, says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Wow. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately. This guy's a stud. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So you see this man, Apollos, who is doing everything so well. And Priscilla and Aquila, who had actually learned to live, not just live and learn, see potential in him. And they say, hey, why don't you come and set in our home? And let us teach you from our experiences so that it might bless you and you can go so much further than we have. Isn't that what's happened to almost every family in this church? Whether it was Pastor Wade, Pastor Matt, or Pastor Eric, we came into the church hungry for the word, hungry for righteousness, seeking the Lord. And they say, hey, I see something you're doing. Come to my home. Sit down with us. Read from my Bible. And I will teach you the way of the Lord more adequately. This is what sages do and is what we are growing into, but it is also what we are currently in the area that God has entrusted to us because we're taking ownership of it. See, Aquila and his wife Priscilla had Apollos come into their home. They're known for having a church in their home, yeah. and they began ministering to Apollos. We've been saying this all day because we've wanted to make sure that you've gotten it, but I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. It says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, you know, the same guy who had learned from the sages of Aquila and Priscilla, but God has been making it grow. Yeah. He's not only just, Apollos is not only just able to speak well, he is now partnered with Paul in the gospel. But Apollos doesn't partner with Paul unless Aquila and Priscilla are there to offer their sage wisdom and that has been accumulated through their application of the word. Come on now, church. This is masculine holiness. This is what God is doing. He is making things grow inside of us. We're not going to wait for some day in the future to become sages. We're going to apply the word now and in our field with those that we own. We're going to cultivate. We're going to self-sacrifice. And we're going to start learning everything that we need to learn for the daily implementation of God's word. Look at this slide. Ownership, intentionality, self-sacrifice, and we become sages as we apply the word. So let's go to our fifth one. Glory bearers. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory, come on, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So you know that 1 Corinthians eleven seven says that the man is the image and glory of God. Period. The woman is the glory of man. When the men begin to act in the image and glory of God, then everything gets right and God's image becomes visible to everyone. When a man is a glory bearer, his wife delights in reflecting him as he reflects Adonai. This is how we were meant to fill the earth, replenishing it, subduing every renegade power. That's because we are glory bearers. When you operate in holy masculinity, you will be a glory bearer. Church, we want to tell you that you are increasing in these five areas, and you're doing it daily. To see progress, you at least need a starting point. And we want to challenge you to look back in these areas that God is causing you to grow and find an origin point. When did I start walking this out? That way you know how much progress you're making. So you can both have your heart cultivated and cultivate those who are entrusted to you, meaning your wife, your children. If you're not married, then your brothers around you. God has brought them into your life to cultivate. So what we're growing in is our ownership, meaning we don't make excuses. Our intentionality, every moment is divine. Every moment is an opportunity to cultivate. We self-sacrifice our lives. We keep our word, and we be a stable stepping place for our family. We show faithfulness over time that causes us to grow as a sage in every stage. And we are glory bearers. His glory revealed through our actions. This is what holy masculinity looks like. This is what holy masculinity looks like. You start with ownership. Men, as we've been talking, should have been ringing in your ears the areas that you know that you need to grow in your ownership. Wives, the things that have been entrusted to you by your husband, walking in that same reflection that he has. Moments, instances, heart attitudes that have come to mind. The intentionality of cultivation that produces someone that's just like you. As you're walking through this, husbands, this should be the truth for your wives. Wives, this should be the truth of what your children are becoming. Self-sacrificing on a daily manner. Not just the one glorious moment, but on a daily sacrificing so that others can be exactly what you are. Saving them from themselves and any other that would try to include in their life. Applying the word of God makes you a sage. And that always starts with what you have already been entrusted with. I'm going to be a sage that knows everything. I'd be really happy to understand how to lead my wife better. I really need to get in the word better so I can understand what's going on in my children's life. I need to be faithful on my own job. I need the Lord to show me through his word how I'm supposed to go ahead and deal with this boss, deal with this person, deal with this coworker. How am I supposed to deal with this customer? I need to go to the word and become a sage now so that his image is ever being magnified in the actual produce of my life. Don't let uncertainty and despair come in, church. Do not let offense be the things that keep you from walking through these steps that God has laid out. 
In our closing passage, I want to read to you just a few verses from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. This is the type of message that has been heard from the beginning of this church. Oh, maybe not these exact words, but this message has been lived out. And we're saying to you, see that what you have heard from the beginning actually remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Those things in your life that what pastors last week talked about inclusions, those part of the rotting uh, of, of, that have been included in the tree and the stronger parts are trying to grow around. See, those are the type of things that are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. Do you hear the hope in that church? That what is there, we've been thinking about the inclusions this week. What about if we look at what he has put within us? That anointing oil, that healing balm, that salve that he has put within us, that it remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit himself has already been teaching you. You've already been looking for walking through this process. You've already heard it. You don't need anything else. He's already shown it to you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Stand to your feet today with us. Church, this time right now, we've gone through what ownership, the very first step, must look like. What an intentionality in our lives that helps us to produce self-sacrifice, an application of the word so that we can be his image bearers here on earth. The Lord has put something powerful on the inside of us. He has an anointing, and we're saying that it's remaining in you. Trust that what he is doing, what he has placed on the inside, is going to cause life. It is going to produce healing. It is going to fix every inclusion. That what you have been given is the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like Pastor Peyton and I, that yesterday we were going through each of these and going, yeah, I need more of that. I need more of the ownership in my, I'm going to take better responsibility. And then we realized, yeah, we can't do that by ourselves. And we'd stop and say, Lord, have your Holy Spirit help us to strengthen us, to cause us to grow in this area. As we worship, I want to encourage you to raise your hands to God himself and say, Holy Spirit, fill us again, empower us again. What we have is real. What we have is real on the inside. It is not counterfeit. Lord, may your Holy Spirit remain in us. May we remain in you. Holy Spirit, have your way in each and every heart. In Jesus' name.